Hi, this is Pastor Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast. We're walking through the book of Luke, thinking about what it means to follow Jesus, to see the world the way he does, and to integrate his patterns into our life. I hope you enjoyed the sermon today. I also wanted to point you to the description section where you can find the church's website. We would love for you to visit our church and consider investing in our ministry. There's two other links. One is a podcast I do with a therapist at Renew Church, and we kick around issues like dating, mental health, and friendships. And lastly, there's a children's book series and a journal that I wrote with my wife and my mentor, and would love for you to look at those resources as well. Thank you so much for being a part of the Renew Church family, and I hope that you enjoy the sermon today. God bless. Check, check. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Thanks for sharing. Um, So we are going through the book of Luke, and a few weeks ago, we talked about the truth of God's word. Again, we we talked about what it's like for the word of God to be a seed. Oh, we still have music. That's awesome. Um, That's sown into our hearts, and some hearts readily take it in and bear fruit. Others reject it. We talked about the word of God being light. And how it exposes us. And some people walk in wanting its healing. Other people run away. We talked about the word of God being something that we not only hear, but drives us into action. So that was the first set of Jesus' preaching. And then he demonstrates not only the truth of his word, but his authority as he speaks the word. And we hear hear him calm the wind and the waves last week. This week we see him silence and cast out demons. And next week, we'll see his words authority over sickness and death. So as we talk about demons today, I'll share a story. Then we'll lay out some framework because it's not something we talk about often. I don't think it's something we should talk about often. The Bible probably dedicates, I don't know, 2% of its literature to demons. And I think it's proportionate to how we focus. We focus on God and Jesus and the gospel. And demons are an aside in some ways. But it's still there, and when we, when we get to it, we want to talk about it deeply. So we'll give you some framework because, again, it's not something we regularly think about. We'll dive into the passage, and then I'll end with some uh, practical ways w- w- that we could engage in spiritual warfare. So I'm at a retreat. It's about this big, um, the, the auditorium, and I'm going through my favorite sermons. And the last sermon I'm doing is Women at the Well. It's a very conservative church retreat. There's about three churches. They're all Presbyterian. And so people aren't lifting their hands. Again, they they probably never have heard or talked about demons. I wasn't going to introduce it. So I'm going through these really generic sermons, very palatable, vanilla sermons. And then as I'm preaching, we hear someone scream at the top of their lungs at the highest pitch that I've ever heard. If you think about Fantasia and the, the witch screaming before she turns into a dragon, it was kind of like that. And so my toes were curled, my hair stood up, and everything stopped. And in the crowd just kind of parted, and then I have this straight shot to this girl, this poor girl who was contorting and screaming. And so um, these were junior high and high schoolers. And our night session, so we sent them up to sleep in their room. Good night, sweet dreams, you know, and uh, just go straight to sleep. It's going to be fine. So they go upstairs, and then me and three other pastors, we start praying uh, for this young lady, and we pray for her for hours. 
So that was one of my first uh, explicit encounters with the demonic. In the next slide, we talk about, again, some of the framework. And so there's churches that really functionally don't talk about demons, so you have maybe no concept of them, or they don't believe in demons. If you're an amillennialist, you believe Jesus came and set up his kingdom and cast out demons right at the resurrection. Or we have churches where demons are to blame for everything. And so every corner you turn, every parking spot that's taken that you wanted, it was a demon who did that, right? So we don't want to be there. But we also recognize in Ephesians that there is spiritual warfare. Our our wrestle isn't just with flesh and blood or primarily with flesh and blood, but it's with the principalities. And if we don't have this category for which we are to engage in, in fighting, we might be fighting our friends or our church or God or ourselves when we should be confronting um, the spiritual realm. And then the second uh, graph I want to pull your attention to are the pie charts. So when I think about mental health, addiction, sin, and pretty much all categories of, of our life, there is the biological or neurochemistry neuro component. There's the psychological component, our, our history, our trauma, our personality type. And then there's the spiritual component. And when we think about different aspects of addiction, depression, uh, anxiety, all three are, are at play, right? So we need, if you are struggling with depression, let's say, you should take meds to help your brain chemistry function correctly. You should go to therapy to help unravel some of the trauma you've been through or what, what is pressing in on you. And there's a spiritual component as well. And depending on what you're struggling with or what, what the circumstances, sometimes the spiritual is a huge component. Sometimes it's very minuscule. Um, and, and meds will help you far more than anything else. And so, <clears throat> so it takes a lot of discernment, and I think it takes multiple fields of study coming together to help understand um, a person and where they reside and what is dominating that pie chart or if it's even. So the last little bar is talking about influence versus possession. These are different degrees in which the devil or or demons can be a part of our life. So I'd say that demons are always trying to influence us. This is an everyday occurrence and pretty subliminal and unnoticeable. But they'll take every opportunity to pull you away from the Lord. If you're going through something really difficult in your life, a demon will try to make you spiral even deeper and uh, exacerbate the situation. They'll never leave something you're struggling with um, and not take advantage of that. And so maybe if you're struggling with um, things going wrong, hey, blame God, get bitter at him, it's his fault. Or step away from community or just give up. You know, you can't do this. But when things are going right, they might say, hey, you don't need God. Uh, You can handle everything. You can do this on your own. Uh, Prioritize this over God. So wherever you are in life, uh, demons will play the whole field. And and they don't have to make your life terrible. They can make it good so that you leave God for the good. And that's the influence of every day, the spiritual realm trying to pull us away from the Lord and doing that in every season of our life. And then it goes all the way up to possession, which is what we'll encounter in Luke, where this man loses his ability to function, his voice is taken over, um, his body is taken over by a demon. 
And I would say that even though there's a lot of fear attached to it, um, God gives us agency over our own mind and body, even if we're non-Christian. And so for us to be possessed by a demon, we would have to surrender our mind and our body to the demon. And for a Christian, my theology is that you cannot be possessed by a demon and be a believer because the spirit of God uh, dwells inside of you. But a demon can have, it's like nails on you, if you will. So possession, I see it as internal and influence or a strong demonic influence is external. And for the Christian, they can only be external to you. They can't come inside of you, but they can still have a strong influence. The next slide, <clears throat> one of the names of Satan, and, and studying the names of Satan is a great way to understand how he attacks us, right? Oh, thank you so much, Rebecca. So one of the names of Satan um, is Satan, which means adversary. He comes against us. And then we, we, Jesus calls him the father of lies, the way that he influences us most strongly is through lying to us. And then there's Beelzebub, which means Lord of the flies. And we, when we think about flies, we think about where they want to gather, what, they, where, what attracts them, right? It's little poopies, little poopies in our heart with um, different emojis. Um, it's, they're super cute. Okay. And so when we allow areas of our heart to um, surrender to Satan, then demons can have a right into that part of our life. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, sorry about misquoting it, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, it says, do not, uh, in your anger, do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. So if we allow anger to become bitterness in our lives, if we allow ourselves to fall asleep and not resolve this anger, it can be a foothold, a stronghold, for uh, demons to have influence over us. Some of the other things we see is unforgiveness, addiction, mistrust in Jesus, unrepentant sin, lies that you've believed. I mean, this is not an exhaustive list, <clears throat> but hopefully it helps you understand um, this concept. We're gonna go through um, this passage and I just want you to close your eyes because it's a very visual passage and try to create a movie as I read it to you, okay? They sailed to the region of Gennesaret, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had worn no clothes or lived in a house, but he had lived in tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want from me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torment me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places." Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And he begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them into the abyss. A large herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. 
When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this to the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to see Jesus, they found a man from whom the demon had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. They were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of Gaarisin asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into a boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus said to him, sent him away, saying, return home and tell how much God had done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. All right, we're going to walk through this passage and answer some of these questions. <clears throat> First, we see this demon-possessed man, again, at like level 10 possession, and we see some of the signs that displayed this. He, the demon was speaking through him. He was unclothed. He wanted to live near death. There was this deep fascination of being near the tombs. He was driven into solitary places, that there was this sense of social isolation that, that um, put him there. And then lastly, we see he had superhuman strength. He would break chains. He was placed under guard, but it looked like he was totally unrestrainable. And that's extremely frightening to have potentially thousands of demons reside in someone's body. When Jesus asks for this person's name, the demon's name, he said legion. A legion is about 6,000 soldiers in the Roman army. But there's this sense when you say a legion that it's an overwhelming force, that your little town and village is going to be overran. So just run or surrender. That's what the sense of legion meant. Um, and again, the person is speaking on behalf of the demon. And so as we, as we sense the fear of the demonic, as horror movie previews are starting to shoot up on our Instagram, and, and that's kind of the vision of, of this scene, we also see how the demons respond to Jesus in the next slide. We see that um, this man throws himself at Jesus' feet right away. So, so as Jesus is stepping on the shore, the first thing the demons do is to fall prostrate in front of him. It's almost a position of worship. And then they cry out, son of the most high God. They know who Jesus is. And they, they are in complete and utter fear of him. I think they have knowledge that when Jesus comes, he's going to send them away from earth into hell. That there's a day of judgment, that their time is coming to an end. And even though it doesn't occur in Jesus' first coming, and it will occur in a second, that's what they're thinking about, that Jesus has come to judge them. So that's why they're begging not to be tormented. And then they're asking him for permission. They're saying, please send us to the pigs. So even though there's a huge power difference, at least to this man who's been victimized by the demons, where he's losing agency, he can't control his own speech, his, his bodily functions are taken over, 
<clears throat> we see a second power difference between the demons and Jesus. They fall at his feet. They beg for mercy. They ask for permission. They're completely powerless in the eyes of the Lord. Because he's their creator. He created the winds and the waves. He created the beasts and the ants. And the same power an ant would have over our Savior is the same power that demons would have. This overwhelming force, this legion of demons is totally rendered helpless as they stand before our Savior. And thirdly, we see how the townspeople and the man respond to Jesus. It's interesting because the townspeople respond in the, in the same fear of Jesus as the demons do. That's what describes them over and over again. They see this man who has been cured, and instead of celebrating, they're like, Jesus, you're here. Thank you so much. We've been desiring his um, deliverance for, for, for decades. No, they're just scared and angry that, that their pigs died, right? And, um, and I think about how this speaks to this town's spiritual condition. First, that they were Jews raising pigs. They were comfortable with the unclean. And secondly, when they saw this man be healed, they desired their swine over the man who was in his right mind. They rather have status quo. They rather have their wealth <clears throat> and their industry then this person become delivered. And so they send them away. And the description of them is that they're in fear. Now, this pig thing is also, I think, why Jesus allowed the demons to destroy the pigs. Because in and of themselves, they were unclean, and the Jews were not to engage in pigs uh, who were unclean. So he allowed them to die. Finally, we see this man who was brought into his right mind. And we see the difference of him becoming clothed, of him sitting at Jesus' feet, of him wanting to follow Jesus. And as he's asking for these things, Jesus sends him back. This man who had isolated himself, who was demon-possessed, who people were scared of, now comes back into town, engages in community, and brings a purpose and gospel into this town. I think about um, how we sent all the kids up to sleep um, or to cry in their beds. And then um, we were with this, this little girl and we started praying over her, with me and three other pastors. No one knew what they were doing, but at least I had a charismatic background, right? So we at least talked about demons. <clears throat> Most of the time I complain about that, but this time I was grateful. And um, I remember being really scared because I, the demons would speak through her in a, a male voice. And again, she would contort and scream. And so I started talking trash, right? Because, you know, I played a lot of ball and you just talk trash and that's how you... So I was like talking trash to the demon about how it's nothing and how Jesus is bigger and more powerful. And I just started talking trash and like amping myself up. And then after that trash talk period of about 10 minutes, uh, we started digging in. And, and I felt like the Lord, uh, after resolving my fear, held my hand and the hand of the pastors and taught us how to do deliverance ministry on the spot. It was like a field study. 
And we asked her questions. And I think the two words that helped me um, summarize that experience was authority and power. So there's the authority of Jesus. Um, as you say his name in relationship, you see the demons like scream out in torment. You see them afraid. You see them recoil. It's, it was amazing because it was visual. We usually claim the name of Jesus and we might feel a little better, but there I was watching his name ripple through her, her body and her soul. So there's the authority of Jesus and the power of his name. The power coming from his uh, name and the person who's wielding it in relationship to him, okay? But, but demons, I believe there's like spiritual laws that govern that universe. Um, they had authority to reside in this, in this woman. She had uh, chosen them to be there. So we had to dig through her past and ask, how and when did you ask these demons to be a part of your life? And so we would try to rebuke the demons so that they would stop speaking through her. She would come into her right mind, and we would ask her questions. And, and basically, she has a really sad story with, where her mom had boyfriends who came over that abused her. And one day, she heard a voice that said, uh, because she felt really isolated and alone and scared, a voice told her, I'll protect you, and I'll, I'll be with you. And she knew it was a demonic voice, but she wanted those things. So she invited this demon to befriend her, and she would talk and converse with that demon for years. Um, so again, this is a five-hour process, but at the end of the day, we had her reclaim authority f- from the demon and offer it to Jesus. Because ultimately, Jesus gives us authority over our own body and minds. And so she, is the, she had the most power to say, um, I don't want this demon. So she's renouncing the demon and rebuking it. And her choosing to do that is more powerful than me choosing to do that, right? Because uh, God gives us all our own agency. So she's, she's asking for the demon to be removed. She's asking for forgiveness for uh, the bitterness, unforgiveness in her heart, which, you know, um, is understandable. But she chose to forgive these men. She chose to relinquish the rights these demons had. So all of that's kind of under the authority umbrella. And then she asked Jesus to come into her heart and to be her friend and protect her. And again, a four or five hour process, we would vacillate back and forth between the demons uh, coming up again, us having to suppress them, to talk to this woman, and, and so on. But at the end of that time, we saw her become sober. We saw her continence change. We saw her have, um, have authority over, over her body and over her mind and over her voice again. This hasn't happened very often in my life. Um, another time, a few years ago, Dr. Ken and I went into a, a woman's home from our church. Um, she had been tormented by demons. She started watching YouTube on how to get rid of them. And most of them made her worse because it was a lot of occult stuff. 
And then she found like a Christian channel. And then she thought, maybe I'll look for a church. No, no Christian background. Yelp does. Thank you, Yelp and all of you who had locked into a room for Yelp reviews. And then uh, found, our way, found her way to Renew, found a small group, uh, talked about her uh, demon oppression. And then me and Dr. Ken ended up uh, going to her house to start praying for her and, and that space. And so this is a worksheet I wrote up uh, for her. I, I gave it to her. I'll send you guys PDFs uh, if you're interested. And I also modified it. So again, we talked about authority. Authority is who you are allowing to dwell into your home and life. And so in terms of spiritual warfare, there's nothing greater than salvation and asking the spirit to dwell within you. But then there's this continuing of choosing Jesus to reside in your heart and soul and asking him to have authority over your life, to have lordship over every part of your life. And so um, are there parts of your life that Jesus, you're not asking Jesus to shine his light on and to have authority on? Um, and then the second piece is power. The extent of authority you have in exercising uh, confrontation with the enemy. And so um, there's these people who are trying to deliver a man from demons in the New Testament in Acts. And the demon says, I know Jesus, because they're using Jesus' name. I know Paul, because they're using Paul's name, the Apostle Paul, but I don't know you. And the demons basically attack this, these people who are trying to exercise these demons, and they're driven out. I think they're driven out naked. I guess it's a thing demons like to do. So um, we can read that later. I mean, I mean, am I, I hope it's true. Okay, so that's the power piece. Like, where are you in your relationship with the Lord? How intimate are you uh, with him? And, and there's a sense of that intimacy of, of the Lord being attached to the power that you're exercising, um, especially in deliverance ministry. So I have some uh, samples of, of prayer. These are magical, but invoking Jesus' name and the name, the sound Jesus is not the power, right? It's that relationship of calling on a God you know, calling on a friend that, you, that you've held his hand, calling on a dad that you're close to. That's, that's the power of the name of Jesus is your relationship with him and him being your Lord and Savior. Um, I declare that my life and the space is yours alone, you know, praying that spirits will be bound and cast out in his name. And then declaration is addressing, uh, proclamation is addressed to demons, declaration is addressed to God himself. And then move on. Um, probably the most important way to battle um, and to conduct spiritual warfare is to know the scripture. And when Jesus fights Satan in the wilderness, all he's doing is pulling out scripture. That's all he does. Because Satan's most important mode of attack is lies. And lies might seem really small and inconsequential, but when we believe a lie to be truth, it reorients our whole life. And it has consequences to what we believe, who we believe we are, and what we do. And so how do we battle Satan's lies? It's to know God's word and to use his word to directly um, retort the lie that he's putting inside of us or the accusation that he's trying to put in our face, right? Um, you're not loved. God doesn't forgive that sin. Uh, no one cares about you. 
Um, you're not worthy unless you do this or unless someone sees you. When Satan comes at, at you with those lies, do you have a truth that you believe to the depths of your soul through scripture that you're putting in front of him to reject that truth? So I have some samples here. Uh, when you feel alone, when you feel attacked, um, trying to remember that Jesus is more powerful than demons. Some other tips is playing worship music. Um, sometimes if I feel like, man, there's this, there's this discouragement that I feel that is from my own psychology and insecurity, but, but it's amplified. It's, it's beyond what I would naturally feel. I feel like the demons are like putting it in a megaphone and just pressing it into my soul like that. Okay, sometimes I'll just, sometimes, you know, declaration, using Bible verses. And then if it's continual, I'll just play worship music. <clears throat> it's not magical, but I'll play worship music to, as a way to move my mind toward something of God. So as I'm wrestling maybe for hours, I can't declare for hours. I can't recite, recite verses for hours or days. I can't just have worship music playing in the background. As, as I'm feeling my, my mind start to get pulled towards something really dark, I'll just focus on the music and, and the lyrics and, and sing or be with the Lord in it. Lastly, I just want to encourage you to be in community and to, like, why are we gathering together in small group? Why are we here on Sundays if we're not to pray for each other? That's why I have a, a question on the front end. And so you could develop a little bit of relationship and small group so that on the back end, you'll pray for each other. And I hope that in small groups, if you, as you develop deeper relationships, that you'll pray for each other and not on, this, on the superficial stuff, right? On the things that you're wrestling with that are difficult in your life, that your small group would, would care and love you and know you well enough to say, I believe that's a lie. I believe you're getting accused from the enemy, and that's not the Lord. I believe that there's something supernatural happening here, and it's not just your psyche or, or your biology or your hanger, right? That, that you have a group that knows you and that, that you can call for help or they could call something out and pray with you and then walk with you in it. That's, that's why we come together as a church. That's why we pray together as we gather on Sundays. That's why we go to small group. It's not to pretend everything's okay. It's not to check off, um, you know, your service to the Lord. It's to live life to life with one another. And it says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful. In, in John chapter, uh, 1 John, it talks about living in the light, confessing your sins. Uh, we have on the exits, people just willing to pray for you, who we see as trying to live rightly before the Lord and who can pray in a powerful way. Lastly, I want to offer Pastor Christy and Dr. Ken. This is a really abridged version of all the things that you can delve into and find deliverance in. So one of the things they do is they do a spiritual inventory of ways that uh, demons can have a stronghold in your life, um, sex outside of marriage, practicing a, the cult, you know, addiction. They have a huge list. And then after you fill out that inventory, they'll just kind of hone in on each one, helping you start to take down those strongholds, 
declaration, proclamation, asking the Lord to take control of those things. So if this is a sermon that you feel like, man, I am wrestling in deep and significant ways, or if in the future you feel that way, I really want you to know that there's pastors in our church that want to sit with you and listen and help you uh, take steps in freedom. At the same time, we don't want to focus on this. And if you're here for the first time, we don't bring up demons every week. Um, I think about mountain biking, and, <laughs> and sometimes there's like the drop on this side and a boulder on this side. And I remember when I was a newbie biker, you would focus on the boulder because you don't want to run into it or focus on the cliff. But whatever you're staring at is where your body tends to go. Right? So a good biker, as I grew in my, in my skill, I would look at the four inches of, of trail. And when I'm caught in these like enclosures, I'm focused on where I want to go, that, that space in between. And so as a church and community, we're focused on Jesus, on loving him and knowing him. And that's how, um, that's our greatest defense against Satan and the enemy. It's not to fixate on them, but to fixate on him. I had a dream um, many years ago. Uh, it was pretty cool. And um, I, I was basically fighting a shadow. So if you imagine like a big light coming this way, a wall, and there was a shadow here, and I'm basically boxing it. But I'm using my shadow to hit it, right? So as the light casts a shadow on my body, I'm fighting it with my shadow. It's fighting me. And we're doing these amazing moves that I can't actually do because I have no ACLs. But just imagine the best and most elaborate choreography. But we're doing this for hours. And even though I'm blocking and hitting well, I'm not really phasing the shadow. And the shadow, as it's fighting, it doesn't fatigue. And I'm fatiguing, so I'm missing some blocks. I'm, I'm, and I'm getting hit. And as it hits my shadow, I feel it on my body. And then um, I'm thinking about the situation, and I see the light casting a shadow. So I start running up a hill toward the light. And as I run toward the light, my shadow gets ginormous, and I step on the shadow, which if, you, if, you don't, if you're not following me, it represents a demon, right? It's, it's a demon. So I step on the shadow, and basically I wake up. And the Lord says very simply, the closer you are to me, right, the closer you are to the light, the more you don't have to worry about demons. There's this other last story before we go into our question where Martin Luther, I was uh, reading up on some of his struggles with the, the demonic. And he, he actually writes quite a bit of it because he's doing this whole Protestant thing that we're a part of. And he talks about how as he's sleeping, he'll, he'll find these demons that want to torment him. He'll see figures over his bed just staring at him. And he said, I turned so my backside, my butt is towards the demon because that's all they deserve. And he goes to sleep. Um, let me pray for us. As I do, we'll take communion together. And... Um, and then we'll, again, offer prayer to each other and on the sides. Um, yeah. God, thank you so much uh, for dying the cross for us. Um, as we take communion this morning, we remember how you broke every chain, how you conquered the demonic and sickness and death.
in the life of others, and in our lives. God, as we take communion, we also think about your body broken for us, your blood spilled, so that our sin can be washed away, so that the demon would have no stronghold over our lives, so that we could be close and intimate with you. And as we draw near you, we know that Satan has no power over us, that we don't have to fight the demons. When we're close to you, they just shudder and, and, um, and, and melt away. So we're so grateful, Lord, uh, for your death, for your resurrection, and the life and strength you give us this morning. I pray, Lord, over each person in our community that if they're feeling um, a demonic and spiritual force over their life, that as they participate in the special grace of communion, that your blood and your body would cover them, that as they take you, you would again remind them that you live inside of them, and that they would claim the power and authority they have in you over uh, the demonic in their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're really grateful that you'd spend time listening to the sermon series. And we also wanted to point you to a few other resources. My wife and I wrote a children's book collection helping kids bridge their faith with God's calling in their life as a businessman, as a doctor or nurse, and as a creative. Secondly, we wrote an adulting journal which helps young adults think through this transition into adulthood, whether it's transitions in friendship, family, faith, or calling. And lastly, I want to point to a podcast that myself and another church member, Roy Kim, who's a therapist, co-host together. It's called The Same Boat. We talk about relationships. We just finished um, a series on dating. We think back to an English ministry church, and we just tackle all kinds of topics that are relevant to our life. I hope that uh, those resources enrich your life as well. And lastly, if you're looking to partner with us, on our website, we have a give section. You could give to our general fund and continue to serve our church through um, through partnering with us financially. But if you scroll down, we have quite a few local missionaries that have called Renew Home. If you read their bio, there's also a section to give to each one of our local missionaries. We hope that all of them would be fully funded going into this year. God bless you. Thanks so much for being with us and uh, hope to hear, hope to uh, have you join us again.